Good morning, good afternoon. I'm Bill Connor. And if you're watching us live, you've obviously registered on autovitals.com forward slash radio. We'd like to thank you. If you're listening on a podcast later on, we highly encourage you to go ahead and click the link and ask any questions you might have. And they'll be emailed right directly to one of our panelists. Um, today, I've got Doug Brackett from Downtown Automotive with us here helping us out, a, a very great shop owner. And we've got our Autobottle's very own Chief Innovation Officer, Uva, here to assist me. Um, so today, we're going to explore using data to determine proper staffing levels for growth, possibly discover some training needs, or in some cases, unfortunately, maybe having to make some decisions about staff replacement. So using the business control panel, we've got more data than we've ever had in the past, and it's collected automatically in the background without any additional work, but we're gonna focus on how to use that to diagnose your shop and you know, put some things in place to make some changes. So today's focus is gonna be using on this information to define and measure process changes and use the data and the strategies you develop to stay ahead of the competition. So uh, Doug and Uwe, you guys ready to go and dig in here? Of course. You bet, good morning, good afternoon, everybody. Awesome. So what I'd like to do is start out by, you know, talking about some of the, the uh, different levels. So right now in the automotive industry, getting full production out of your staff seems to be a, a big hurdle in a lot of cases. And what we want to do is we want to talk about accepted levels of production for certain type of employees, first of all, so we can define what good looks like. And then we're going to talk about using some data to determine what's going on in a shop. So if, if that's good, what I'd like to do is start out and talk about some different production levels, which we always measure in terms of completed hours. And let's go and define them for you know some of the different employees. Like, uh, Doug, what do you think about a general service guy? You know, What type of a, a completed production hours per day are we seeing out of these type of folks in the shop environment? You know, um, definitely things are, are slightly different up here in Canada. We, we run our apprenticeship program um, quite well, in, in my general opinion. But, uh, you know, our, our expectations from, from an entry-level technician standpoint, we're talking about our first, second-year apprentices, provided you can keep them fed with good work, should be producing anywhere from, you know, six to eight hours out of their, their eight-hour days. Um, when, when we're talking about, uh, our, our high level, well-paid technicians, uh, you know, up here in Canada, it's a red seal trade qualification down there. I believe you're talking about ASE technicians. Um, you know, those guys should be billing, uh, over eight hours a day. And, and we're talking in the nine ten range. Cool. And so, you know, in the States and, and I've actually got the advantage of going ahead and looking at hundreds and hundreds of shops. You know, our general service guys, you know, we're seeing in the four to five range on average. And there's a lot of reasons behind that, you know, the type of work they're doing and so on. And then our, our technicians, you know, we're getting in, in somewhere around the six to seven range, which is really kind of low. So there's a lot of opportunity. And then we've got these guys, to, what I would call the general technicians, the R&R guys, you know, that they, they normally, they're not doing a lot of diagnostic work and a lot of electrical work, you know, those guys can go ahead and actually be in the 10 or 12 hour per day range. And then we've got the diagnostic guys, which a lot of them, you know, they get beat up quite, quite a bit in that, you know, they're only getting paid for the amount of time they actually use to diagnose a car. 
And, you know, some of that's got to do with the amount of time the service rider gets approved and so on. But those guys seem to be lucky to go ahead and get one hour pay for one hour actually worked, if that makes sense. And so, Uber, are those kind of the things that, that you're seeing also? Yes, and, and, and I would really, I would just ask the question, why is a GS, or let me say it differently. To me, if I have a certain mix of work and go back to what Doug said, let's assume the feeding machine works, why would a GS not produce eight hours or 10? Because the work level seems to be matching the skill set. It's not that they, you know, take longer for the type of work they do. Am I making a sense? Of, yep. And a lot of that has to do with menu price jobs where the shop is trying to go and stay ultra competitive on certain jobs. And that's what these GS guys normally do. And so they've got a lower price per hour on those jobs and they have a tendency to go ahead and reduce the time on it also. So there's a lot of reason behind it, but you know, a fair time for a fair job and adjusting the labor rate would probably be a better way to do it in is not disguising, you know, something else. You yeah, I, I really agree with you there, Bill, for sure. And, uh, you know, to, to answer Uva's question a little bit um, from a, a shop owner perspective there, the, the type of work that the GS tech is doing um, it is a lot more difficult to have a high efficiency on than the the more skilled work that takes uh, you know some more experience, some some probably more specialized tooling to get it done, and and things like that as well too. One of the biggest factors that uh, that plays into all of this, and and we're going to see this really nicely in in the data that we've got, um, is the the build hours per work order, sold hours per right. work order where we really get to see that um, when we're only doing an hour of work on a vehicle, we can't possibly be efficient on it. Uh, all the efficiencies in our, in our shops come in between vehicles, which is where that uh, when we have one vehicle that we're doing more work on, we're gonna be significantly more efficient than if we've got three vehicles that we're doing that same amount of work on, obviously. So, so, so can I translate that into another statement and you tell me whether that's hitting the thing if we would increase gs work the efficiency for the shop goes down because i have to rack up rack down take down vehicles at a much higher frequency nobody is paying me for that that is correct there's a lot of wasted movement in the gs movement and the gs position and that doesn't include cleaning the shop Tasting parts, shuttling customers, walking the dog, cleaning the refrigerator. I mean, whatever else they might get assigned to him. Non-billable hours. So the amount of non-billable hours goes up if we, we'd focus on GS work. Dramatically. And, and we typically refer to this as, as what we call an activity-based shop, where, where you know, right. it's a really high focus on car count, um, right. dealing with a lot of cars in a day. Um, really strains our processes. Um, you know, when, when we're able to slow our processes down, take that care with every client, um, you know, the, the sold hours per work order goes up and, uh, you know, we're, we're not stressing the machine to the same extent where when we're handling a lot of vehicles, 
Um, there's so much activity in the shop. Nobody's got breathing room. Everybody's kind of running around just trying to get things in and out the door. And um, the shop's not actually making money doing it because of this, uh, this efficiency problem that, that right. And so one of the things we want to talk about doing is, is that anytime a production person isn't working in a production role, if we have a tea time set up that we can actually capture that time. So if your GS guy works in the office as a service advisor part-time, you don't have a tea time to find that they can, they're working in the office, settling customers, chasing parts or whatever, then we can go ahead and find out, you know, where the rest of their time is going so that we don't think it's just strictly, you know, a production problem. Absolutely. And, and this is, you know, a, a critical element to all of this uh, uh, work we can do with the BCP is that our ability to analyze the data is only as good as the data that we've got. So there's, um, there's a lot of diligence that has to go into um, building the data properly, right? Having your system set up properly, having good process in place um, so that the, the time is captured. Uh, so that you can go back and, and look at where the potential improvements are. And then we've got the diagnostic tech. Um, you know, those guys, because of the way work is dispatched to them, they normally get the, the toughest stuff to do in a shop. Is there any things we can do to go ahead and help those guys out to go ahead and make sure that, you know, they're billing the hours they have? Or do we go ahead have to talk about a different compensation program for them just because they're not getting the gravy work that they can go ahead in. I mean, a, a flat rate diagnostic tech has got a tough life unless they've got a service advisor and a shop owner that, that supports them properly. Well, you know, um, definitely a, a very interesting category of work that shops do. And uh, typically one that is, is probably the least understood in the shop as well. Um, you know, when we're doing diagnostic work uh, in no other industry, do we penalize um, our, our brightest and most talented uh, resources the way we do in the automotive industry, right? With uh, discounting diagnostic time, billing it at straight time. You know, the, it was a, a huge realization to me when I recognized that uh, diagnostic time should have the same efficiency into it that my my rockstar technician has when he's doing a, you know a straightforward mechanical job. Um, so billing straight time on diagnostic is is not a great approach. Um, I hope everybody by this stage recognizes that their straight door rate is uh, not adequate for diagnostic time. If you're billing your door rate for diagnostic time, you're losing out on uh, probably about. Uh, 30% of your GP associated with that job because there's no parts that go along with it. So our diagnostic rate is, uh, you know, about one and a half times what our actual door rate is. And we have never talked about diagnostic in terms of time with our clients. Diagnostic is dollars, just like every other job that we do, right? People buy the whole service from us. They don't just buy it in, in hour or 0.1 of an hour chunks. Um, so when they're buying a diagnostic, it's, you know, we, we might bill that one hour at $200, but all we talk about with the client is the $200. Our rockstar tech has seen that before he gets that diagnostic complete in, in half an hour, 35 minutes, we're still collecting that $200, right? 
So that efficiency needs to get built into what your diagnostic technicians are doing. And then you'll see their sold hours per day go up uh, along with the rest of the shop operations because you're, you're selling their skill and, and don't underrate that skill. It is one of the most valuable pieces you have in your shop. And I would assume I, that, you, go ahead, Uber. I, I have a question about this. Doc, do you have a good sense of how much work on average percentage-wise follows the, the findings of the diagnostic? In other words, how many times is a diagnostic done presented to the customer together with a proposal to do work to fix the root cause found? And how often is that successful on average from your um, Yes, I, I don't have some metrics for you with respect to that. I definitely have some feelings as to uh, where that ends up. And, and I feel that so much of this is all set up in the interaction with our clients and, and the qualification of our clients that we're going to be able to meet their expectations, that there are expectations are in line with the service that we intend to provide as well too. Um, and I, I'd really like to bring up a quote from uh, a good friend of mine who's also a, a local shop owner that deals with um, I, an area that's um, a lot more rural than where my shop is. Um, and he's, he's very specific about it. He actually has this on the bottom of his invoices. Um, and it says, you know, we are in the business of repairing vehicles. Um, and if your intentions are to not repair your vehicle, we're probably not the right shop for you. Right. So in selling this diagnostic work, what goes along with that is, um, creating the expectation that once we have this diagnosed, you're going to want to fix this, right? right? The reason you have us doing the diagnostic in the first place is because you know there's something wrong, know something needs to be fixed. We need to figure out what that's going to cost and exactly what it is. So if, if your intentions are not to fix it, don't take on the diagnostic work as well, right? So there's, there's a lot of base process involved to make sure that um, we're qualifying people on this as well too. We've got to also remember that, you know, an appointment booked for just the diagnostic is, of course, going to get uh, a complimentary inspection that goes along with it. And that's the opportunity to um, provide additional inspection results to your client on the condition of that vehicle, educate them about it. And, and if you've done the rest of the process, qualified the client, qualified their expectations, um, you know, when you present those results, nice, clear, transparent, backed up with a great inspection, they're going to want to buy the additional services. Now, the critical element in this is you've got to have time in your schedule to actually complete this work as well. So without, you know, the, the proper scheduling practice in place, you can hit all the other items perfectly. You're still going to have to deal with that vehicle, you know, twice and and that's going to cost you in that efficiency department which is the the absolute critical part that's that's what we're trying to to build up in our shops right when we're efficient um and productive you're profitable 100 percent. so one of the things that we found early on with auto vitals that a shop that has the proper documentation from the customer what's going wrong follows the four c's concern cause and correction documents test performed what the results were and what the the 
expected result were those shops had no problem whatsoever collecting for their testing time and the diagnosis that was part of it. And they would normally get the work that went with it unless the car needed to be recycled, car, truck, vehicle, whatever. And they would also use that as a great opportunity to do a complete inspection because they would say, ma'am or sir, before we go ahead and do this other thing that might be expensive, wouldn't you like to know the overall condition of your vehicle so you can determine whether you want to continue investing in it or not? So using all the tools together really helped that process. And if a shop is still afraid to charge for testing and diagnostic these days, you know, the handwriting's on the wall, they probably you know, need to be looking for a much simpler business because we spend more time testing and diagnosing vehicles today than we ever have before. And we've got to learn how to go ahead and charge for the skills and tooling and education required to do it. So how about our, how about our service advisors? You know, we, we wanna go ahead and make sure we've got kind of a baseline for service advisors. And, you know, we measure them based on gross sales, average repair order dollar amount, hours per RO you know, what do we expect for them? And maybe we should start with the ratio of service advisors per technician. You know, we know a technician should be an average of three hours for repair order. They want to do 10 hours a day. So we know they need three and a half cars per day. You know, how many repair orders does the service need to write? And, you know, that gets us into $600 per repair order range. So, you know, what do we expect out of a service advisor as far as you know, weekly revenue, hours per RO, and um, average repair to dollar amount. You know, right off the bat, I'd like to say that we expect an awful lot out of our service advisors. There's <laughs> there's a huge argument that um, those uh, guys and girls have what is possibly the one of the most challenging positions in the shop. You know, they get pulled in in seven different directions all the time. Um, they have so many tasks assigned to them. Um, some of them are small, some of them are, are highly detailed. You know, some are, are personal tasks, some are computer tasks. You know, these, these people need to, uh, you know, almost have three different personalities operating all at the same time in order to be highly successful at what they're doing. And uh, I, I think, I, I hope everybody out there has gotten to experience a, a rockstar service advisor and, and watch them really um, manage both their their technicians, their customers, and their workload all at the same time. It's, it's a lot of balls to juggle in the air, right? Um, I, I feel that one of the things our industry needs to focus on is, is unloading our service advisors so that they can spend more and more time concentrating on the vehicles that are actually in the shop at that moment, right? those are the critical ones and it's the attention to, to the vehicles that the technicians are, are currently working on that um, build the work for the shop to be able to excel in, in all those metric areas, right? If a service advisor can't uh, manage uh, an inspection edit and send in a timely fashion because they're interrupted five times by things that are not happening inside the walls of the shop at that moment we're talking about customer phone calls or you know pre-ordering parts for future appointments and things like that um you're going to struggle getting these metrics up into the the category where where we know they really need to be in that three hours sold per vehicle um you know the the over 600 aros and things like that right 
imagine going back to talking about that general service tech with, you know, one sold hour per vehicle, high vehicle turnover, that workload gets, gets increased on the service advisor, you know, multifold at that stage. It's almost exponential as they start getting kind of behind with the vehicles. So, you know, if, if you don't have the other processes in place, just, just like we were just talking about, then, you know, your, your advisors are really going to struggle to do that. Um, you know, the, this is definitely going to end up in a, what do I fix first category? Right. And, and I really feel like that works us right back around to the, that appropriate scheduling so that, uh, you know, we, we slow the processes down, we give everybody time to do what they need to do. And then all of a sudden we're getting more done by slowing things down. So if we go ahead and take, you know, what a lot of the coaching companies talk about is three hours per repair order. Then we go ahead and, and say a technician, you know, they've got to have about three, three and a half repair orders per day. A we should have a ratio of one service advisor to maybe two to two and a half techs. You know, that gives us some numbers that we can go ahead and work with and use the business control panel or other data to go ahead and see are these service riders in the window that they need to be in. And that's what we're talking about right now is we want to get kind of a baseline to work with, you know, what does this machine go ahead and what's normal or what can be normal? And then how is our machine systems in it performing within our shop, if that makes sense. And Doug, you made a mention that, you know, that all this that we're talking about now is kind of the building blocks. You want to go ahead and go into that just a little bit before we move on? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, um, there's all kinds of different levels of implementation in a shop. Um, we're, we're all in a different place. We're all dealing with different challenges, different people, different locations, different clientele, different vehicles, everything like that. But, you know, I, I've always looked at it as there's, there's this base um, structure of a shop and, and how to build a, a shop processes out. Um, you know, think of it as, as a big giant pyramid. Right at the top of that pyramid is, you know, the, the, your perfect client, the well-serviced client um, taking all the recommendations, everything's happening, right? Um, the base layer of that pyramid is a bunch of building blocks of, of the standard procedures that need to be in place to, to build the next layer of processes. Um, to, to eventually get all the way up to the top of that pyramid and, and have everything in place. So, um, you know, the, the point of the BCP is partly to, to recognize when one of those building blocks is, is maybe a little rotten and is not working properly, right? And, and we need to go back and, and revisit some of those processes. Um, I, I think one of the biggest challenges that shops deal with as, as they're developing, growing, um, working their way towards that final top block that is the, you know, the ultimate 100% implemented shop is that uh, the recognition of, of which blocks are missing or not working properly is really difficult. Um, you know, we, we all work within our operations. It's, it's hard to step out sometimes and see, um, see how all the moving pieces mesh together so that we can identify those processes that, that are not working to the extent that we need them to so that we can put the next block on top. Uh, and, and shop owners are constantly getting frustrated because they might be trying to build a, a level three block and, and the level two is, is not solid. So it's not going to be able to support it as well. Right. Um, 
it, it'd be nice to be able to list out and label all these blocks for you. Um, you know, I, I think we've got a lot of this information in our best practices and uh, um, pr process items, but uh, they're still going to be different for a lot of shops as well too, right? So incredibly important. Cool. So the takeaway there is, is there's no point in trying to build a castle on a weak foundation or the walls are to come down, tumbling down, right? So let's go ahead and move on a little bit further in, you know, what are the top three to five KPIs that, that we need to start out with to go ahead and monitor here? And I'm going to see if I can't go ahead and share my screen and bring up a sample business control panel. So while, while Bill brings up that uh, business control panel, um, you know, I, I would definitely like to mention that uh, as you get into this BCP and, and get familiar with it, um, my, there are an awful lot of numbers. Look at all those numbers. And it can so quickly become overwhelming to kind of glance at these and, and go, man, I, I don't know. There's, there's too much information here. I, I don't know if the changes I'm making are making any difference. You know, the important thing to take away is pick one, pick two KPIs um, and, and really pay attention to them. Look at, um, you know, what affects them. Don't, don't try to take on 12 of these at a time. You're going to struggle, right? Start working on the, the one and two. And, and what you'll find is that the, the watched number gets better. Um, and it almost seems like a, something that, that happens in the background, but it's, it's you. You're making that happen. When you're paying attention to these, they will get better. So, so pick what you think you can work on and watch it get better. Well, to kind of sum that up, what we want to do is we want to think about this just like a technician diagnosing a vehicle. Just because there's 150 different data PIDs on the engine control module doesn't mean that we need to look at all of them right now to determine what's going on with the vehicle. And that, that's what we want, want to do is we want to go ahead and define some KPIs here that we're going to look at and what we want, we're talking about productivity. So this is our productivity number. And then we want to understand different data that goes ahead and feeds into it. And so I want to go ahead and I love the way the L1 ASE test is broken out. It's got a composite vehicle. And what I've done is I've built a composite shop. I've actually built three of them. So we can go down through and, and start using the thinking process as far as what's going on in them shops. And so what I'm going to do is move over and we're going to share this composite shop and let's take a look at it. And Uwe, if we get off track, I'm sure you're going to go ahead and, and focus us back in the right direction. So I think, what we, I, I think we need to be very clear in the definition of the KPIs. You know, what is SA efficiency we should start with? And, and awesome. what are the impact KPIs because yes, I agree with Doug. You know, often you look at any type of report and you don't know where to look first because there's so many numbers. On the other hand, what's more important is is what do those numbers mean, and and how interdependent they are. Because the biggest challenge I see in talking to shop owners is we look at the KPIs like they were not interdependent, like they were independent, and most of them are not, right? Absolutely. 
And so that's why it's so important to say, what is the top level KPI I'm trying to optimize for knowing what other KPIs I can watch, ideally behavioral ones, right? Because only change of behavior will change the top level KPI. If I try to do the same thing over and over again and hope for a better outcome, I think that's the definition of insanity. And that's where I live. <laughs> and so let's be really clear to say, you know, SA efficiency is. So let me go ahead and, and actually work through this then. So our top level KPI that we really want to drive is going to be service advisor efficiency and really ignore the title of service advisor efficiency and think about this as paid, posted and billed hours per day on average. So on these particular composite shops, they actually, they're open five days a week and We've got three different shops here with three different opportunities for improvement because I'm not going to say they got problems. We got one shop that's billing 21 hours per day, shop number one. Shop number two is billing on average 10 hours per day. Shop number three is 12.65. And all three of these shops got different opportunities. But what I wanted to do is look at some individual employees to further understand what's going on. So on shop number one, when we look at Michael and Kyle, if we just looked at their hours completed per day on average only, knowing that we're, we got Saturdays and Sundays in here also, these guys here on the face of things look like they're producing really well. You know, they're getting in that nine, 10 hour range. And if we average, including Saturdays and Sundays, these guys are really stout. But when we're looking to go ahead and see, you know, is this a long-term thing that can be sustained when we move down and look at their average hours per repair order, now we can see that one's averaging 2.19 hours per car or per vehicle and one's 1.25. So these guys here are working their butt off. They're probably got a, a budget for new sneakers pretty often because they've got a lot of wasted movement, racking and unracking cars, jumping around and so on. And so again, this is, you know, one of the things that we see right off here, looking at this particular technician, then we move over here to Jeremy, shop number two, and he's averaging 5.5 hours per day at 2.28 hours per repair order. So he's touching two vehicles per day. So on the face of it, it looks like maybe he needs more vehicles to work on. So Doug, you wanna go ahead and kind of, um, you know, give us some input on this and Uva also. Obviously we need more data, but you know, does the logic behind what we're seeing here kind of make sense? Absolutely, I, I think you're uh, you're right on the bat right there, right? Like uh, shop number one, um, from initially looking at uh, SA efficiency or uh, build hours, uh, you know, they're they're pretty happy certainly when it's related to their goals. There, um, you know, this the shop should be operating with what we look like there with, with two technicians, one service advisor, right? Um, it does look like potentially they've, they've got some shop helpers or something like that, helping those two technicians produce. And, and that's a, a, a pretty reasonable way of running an operation. It's very much what we do in, in my shop. Um, you know, shop number two, for sure, there's, there's potentially a, a car count issue. Um, there's definitely, um, you know, an average build hours per, per RO um, going on there as well too. 
Um, yeah, what, what do you think there, Uva? Um, so I agree with you, but there are good news. The, the um, trend is positive, right? So obviously, that's another thing I, I really want to mention, uh, you know, about the um, numbers, so many numbers. If you only look at snapshots and absolute numbers, you might draw different conclusions than when you look at the trend. A positive trend is all you can ask for, right? Don't set your goals too high and then hope you're gonna reach it. Hope is never a strategy. But the moment you have a positive trend, um, you can calculate yourself when you're gonna reach your goal. Um, the other thing I'm not quite clear is on the second shop, it, it looks like there are many helpers and they're all in a very low number. It, it, isn't there something fundamentally to be discussed about the composition of how it's set up? If, it the, top very well be. if the top performer is at 2.28 and everybody else is below two, sometimes even below one, aren't there too many bodies in the shop? That could very well be. And as we go through some more of the data, we'll make some discoveries there to kind of determine what's going on. But in each one of these three shops, there's obviously room for improvement. And we're going to go ahead and continue on down the list. So after we go in and look at the average hours per repair order, then what we want to do is discover what percentage of vehicles are being inspected. You know, are we delivering, you know, safe, reliable and comfortable vehicles to our customers by doing inspections? So in shop number one, we can go ahead and see that, you know, both these technicians are inspecting about 30% of the repair orders that go through the shop and no other support person in the shop is doing that. So, you know, this is kind of a low number and it kind of makes you wonder a little bit, you know, what these other guys are here for. But again, you know, this is the kind of data that we have to see and kind of correlate to each other and see how they interact. Now on the second and third shop, these guys are doing a very high percentage of inspections. You kind of kind of wonder what's going on that is still not helping us discover the problem. So you kind of seeing the same thing here, gentlemen? Yeah, I, uh, I see this for sure. And, and it's very interesting that average build hours per hour are very similar in these, these two uh, test shops and inspection rate is, is so different, right? This comes into, uh, you know, obviously needing more data to be able to do a full analyzation involved here, but uh, let's consider uh, scheduling in this factor, right? Picture uh, shop number one is likely uh, scheduling a, a whole day's work for their technicians. You know, they come in at eight o'clock, they have every vehicle lined up and, uh, you know, they've got that uh, eight, eight to nine hours of work all planned out for their day. We're talking about some, some probably quite efficient technicians and getting through that work as well too. Um, and, uh, but there, there's no room for those technicians to complete additional work on those vehicles. So the inspection process falls down, right? They, they have their day set up. They, they know so they're just fixing what the it. customer brought it in for. Exactly. Um, where, you know, a, a similar situation in these schedules might look identical as well too, where shop number two 
is uh, inspecting everything, um, but maybe they're not um, providing those recommendations. They're not um, giving the opportunity of the technician to have more work to complete on those vehicles that, that they just finished inspecting, right? And that can be a scheduling issue as well too, if, if they don't, if they have their schedule filled, um, but we're dealing with, with an efficiency issue. Um, and the work is taking longer because of a potentially a, a really, really thorough inspection. Um, but without the, the follow-up of actually um, selling the recommendations at that appointment as well. Right. So our inspection rate is, is, you know, we've got our primary KPIs that we're looking at, we're trying to drive. And now what we're doing is we're starting to measure the behaviors that actually have a direct influence on them. Do you have anything that you'd like to add on this particular KPI, Uva? I'm wondering, and I don't want to jump too fast to the conclusion, but I'm wondering whether shop two is a quick loop specialty shop. We'll, we'll, we'll find out in a little bit. We've got to go ahead and keep the suspense going here. Okay. But that would explain a lot of the numbers so far, right? Because it could. the ability to, um, you know, going back to the initial thing, we have basically a more GS work put from a ratio to the whole work than, than there should be for a healthy mix. <clears throat> Could be. We'll see if you're right here as we, we go on a little bit further. Okay. And so the next KPI that we want to look at is, um, I'm going the wrong way. So we want to go ahead and look at the average number of recommended actions, which this is when the technician is doing an inspection, are they actually spotting needs and are they spotting needs at the, at a average amount that should be for the particular trade area they're in, or is there something else going on? So on shop number one, you can see that when the technicians do inspections, they're spotting an average of three things per vehicle that need to be tended to, which is, you know, by most standards, you know, we see between five and eight as a general rule. And then when we move over to shop number two and three, we can see that they're averaging number of recommendations in the 30 to the 35 range. So wow. what are our kind of cause and effects here? And what's the service advisor doing in shop two? So this um, actually brings us right back to what I was talking about where um, setup and the quality of the numbers that we're measuring uh, is absolutely critical to our ability to use them to analyze our operations and, and make educated decisions about what we need to do to manage our shops. Um, I just want to be perfectly clear with uh, Bill, where in this, um, the, the second KPI, their number of recommended actions per vehicle um, should include per vehicle inspected. Uh, this is not including all of the vehicles that were through the shop. This is only on the vehicles that, that actually had inspections, correct? Sure, if they don't have an inspection, there can't be any recommended actions on the inspection sheet. So you are 100% correct. Totally, so the wording could be a little bit misleading if a shop owner is thinking about that as well, I'm only inspecting 30%. Um, so, you know, the, the number of total actions is divided by all my vehicles, not just the 30% that I'm inspecting based on that, right? Um, Shop number two has an inspection sheet setup issue here. We can pretty much guarantee that based on this, this one metric involved um, because on average, 
31 actions necessary on, on your typical road going vehicle means that you are only dealing with the, the bottom 1% of the absolute worst vehicles out there and you're spending an awful lot of time inspecting them. Uh, you know, it is absolutely critical that your inspection sheets are set up um, uh, properly according to the best practice where we have um, conditions under conditions um, and actions under actions. Every single action on your inspection sheet should be a can job in your point of sale system. If your technician wants an action on the vehicle, there should be an associated product that you can sell. Um, if that's not the case, step number one, go back, sort out those inspection sheets. It can be a daunting task, but trust me, it will pay off. We've been here before. We, we've been doing these for, for a long time and, and inspection sheet setup is so critical to this whole process. So, so if, if I understand it correctly, are you saying what we see here is not really a recommended action, it's probably a condition? No, we are not saying that. What we're saying is, is that the somebody who set up the inspection sheet has put an information line rather than something that leads to money on the action side of the inspection sheet. Or, so or it, exactly what Uva said as well, too. I've, I've seen both of these scenarios. Yes. Uh, okay. Makes sense. Yeah, there shouldn't be anything on the action side of the inspection sheet that doesn't lead to something that requires time or a payment by the customer in some way, shape or form. So if you've got something on that, that side that is an information line, maybe a condition, for example, it belongs on the condition side. So that way, when the technician is looking at a topic, they're looking at the topic you want them to. They're choosing a condition that makes sense and they're choosing an action only if there's something that needs to be done about it. So assuming for our listeners, um, we have canned jobs, what, what's an expected number of recommendations per vehicle on average? Normally we shoot for between five and eight on a, on a, on a vehicle that's within you know, a reasonable range and reasonable maintenance. That seems to be an average range to go and shoot for as, as far as number of recommendations. Some vehicles are going to be more, some are going to be less, but that seems to be a fairly decent average. The only time we see it in a really high range is if, let's say, the vehicle is a reconditioning facility for a car lot where they're going through the whole vehicle, they're understanding everything that it needs and presenting that for an approval or send the damn thing back to the auction. Those shops will normally have a very high number of recommended actions. Interestingly enough, one of the things that we certainly notice all the time as well with uh, our operation is uh, new clients. We, uh, we actually have a specific flag for our work orders when we're dealing with a vehicle that we've never seen before. Um, because I, I'm, I'm going to go right out here and say that uh, typically we're, we're 10 to 14 recommended actions on vehicles mm -hmm. that we've never seen before. Um, yeah, makes sense. And, and that means that, uh, you know, as, as a well-implemented shop, we're doing a better job of inspecting vehicles than wherever they've typically been going to before. So there's a, um, I'm, I'm bringing those new clients kind of up to the, the downtown automotive spec of this is how you take care of your vehicle properly. Right. Cool. So the next thing we want to talk about is when the technicians are actually doing inspections and making recommendations, are they taking the appropriate amount of pictures that go with them for proper documentation? 
are they taking enough or too many or, or where? So you can see shop number one here, when they make recommendations, you know, their average number is three and they're taking about half a pitcher, which, you know, I don't know how you do that, hold your hand over half the lens. And then we've got shop number two, you know, Jeremy, for instance, his average number of pitchers is 9.5 and his average number of recommendations is 22. So, you know, again, that kind of points to a mismatch inspection sheet. And then um, we'll leave um, number three up to Uva and um, Doug to go ahead and dissect. While well, we're, we're talking about an inspection policy here, right, that goes uh, right hand in hand um, with inspection sheet setup to make this even uh, possible for our technicians to, to be able to, uh, to manage anyway. Um, Certainly, the way the way we operate this uh, is that uh, if we have a, a recommended action, um, it needs to have a picture associated with it, right? There are a few situations, absolutely, where that that gets um, difficult or or let's call it pointless, um, where the picture isn't going to actually have much informative value for our clients at that stage. You know that typically gets offset by situations where more than one picture is, is more than appropriate for recommendation as well too. So generally, you know, the number of recommended actions per vehicle and the average number of pictures taken per appointment really ought to at least be in a one-to-one -one ratio, if not, um, you know, more pictures than recommendations essentially. Um, so all three of these shops have a bunch of work to do with some inspection policy. Mm -hmm. And so one other thing I noticed right off the bat on shop number one, as far as protecting the liability and assets of the shop, you know, we can't possibly have any walk around pictures taken before or anything else because we've got such a low count. So, you know, 10 to 14 is the lowest range you really want to see, you know, for proper documentation. But again, each one of these shops has got a different, you know, thing going on and um, we're using behavioral data that, to go ahead and audit this kind of stuff and find it out by looking at repair orders and stuff like that. It takes hours or days to go ahead and dissect the shop and nobody's got time for that. So let's look at the next behavior and that's the edited pictures percentage. And so to me, this tells us how well the service riders and the technicians are kind of both working in the team. You know, is there an arrow, a note or some type of information on the picture to go ahead and understand. And, um, you know, shop number one, you know, 82%, but that's only of half a picture per whatever. So that could be just a simple a arrow or so on. And then we get over to um, shop number two and three, and we've got different numbers. So this gets into the discussion of, you know, how well are the techs and service writers working together to make a great educational content for the customer? And we're going to measure that, what the customer thinks about it here in just a minute. So anything here, you draw your attention out. It's good that they're all going in a, in a positive direction for someone. I think shop one has not changed any process versus the paper inspection, right? That would explain, um, because we see high numbers of editing pictures. So it's kind of, cherry picking the topic to be presented to the customer, right? So you look at the vehicle and see something, and then you do the inspection after you have already identified what is 
kind of a ripe fruit to be presented to the customer and then you follow the process and that's obviously in 30 percent of the vehicles the case and then um and then you focus on the recommendations which are really uh making money that that, that is how it looks to me um if i'm making sense and that falls and, into what Doug was saying because they're taking an easy path because they don't have any room for expansion and they're just focusing on, you know, the quick, easy things that they can go ahead and turn with whatever time they had allowed. Yeah, allowed or, I mean, this is a, you know, takes two. Um, they obviously have not tried to implement an inspection policy, which is all vehicles get inspected. Um, and, and, which and, is which is a, a level one block that we were talking yes, about, right? If that exactly policy is right. not in place, how do you how do you build on um, actually having the inspections edited properly if if you don't have the the level one block of? So for shop number one, how do we go ahead and get rid of that level one block? Get rid or introduce it, you mean? How do we get rid of the block that they have as far as doing an inspection oh, every vehicle? Mm -hmm. So to me, the best policy that we have that we put in place in the digital world is every repair order gets the first labor line of repair order is whatever type of inspection is going to be done. Then it's not arbitrary for the inspection for the technician whether they do an inspection or not because it's just like any other line in the repair order. They don't get to choose whether they do it or not. Absolutely. I, I agree 100% on that one, Bill. And, and even further to that, you know, let's, let's consider the process that a technician should never be working on a vehicle if he doesn't have a time associated with the job that he's doing. That should, in, in my opinion as well, uh, apply to the complementary work that we do. Uh, you know, it's a big deal. And, and if, we, if we don't put a value on something, does it maintain the same value to our clients. So our courtesy inspections in my shop um, are worth 0.4 of an hour. Our expectation is that there's going to be some that are, are quicker than that, many that are longer. Um, and we discount that labor right on the invoice. Um, you know, our oil change that might only come out to $120 if done standalone all by itself includes a discount of about $80 on it. And that's for our courtesy inspection and our courtesy cleanup for that client, right? And, and this just goes to show right away as well, if we spent our entire day doing just oil changes, it is a huge losing proposition for the shop. Oh, yeah. We are right. giving our skills and talent away, right? The point is that we are also accurately tracking the cost of doing our courtesy inspections, the time associated with our courtesy inspections, so that the metrics that we get out of them are real world, they do matter, and, and we can troubleshoot our systems with them, right? Are you showing the customer that discounted amount so they understand the value? Absolutely. Every single time. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> How did I well, know and, that? And, and it goes right back to that concept that, you know, if we don't put a value on it, is the client putting a value on it, right? And in so much of what we do, uh, it's not about how much we charge for what we do. We need to charge what we need to charge so that we can be profitable. It's about being able to show value for what we charge. 
and and by showing value on these is is a huge part of that proposition right somebody can go to a quick lube and spend the exact same amount for an oil change as as with us and right. the value at the quick lube is they waited in line and got it done right away the value at our shop is that we've completed a courtesy inspection and a cleanup for you at the same time and you actually get to know what kind of condition your vehicle is really in so this nest metric is really pretty pretty simple to understand is and we've talked about this many times before is if an inspection has been done and you have the email address and the phone number is there any valid reason not to send the inspection so i've heard lots of excuses but i've never had a valid reason yet so if you guys agree with that assessment then we need to get on to you know what the customer thinks about the inspection absolutely yeah I'm, i we have five minutes left, so I, I, I'm, I'm dying to get to our conclusion because I want to play devil's advocate here. Let's, let's carry on. The first job has some good numbers, right? Overall, in terms of, uh, if I remember that correctly, AOO-wise and build, build hours, right? If I'm the second, if I'm the first shop owner, I said, I'm doing fine. If I'm the second shop owner, am I spending too much time on the inspection? I don't have enough time left to actually work on the vehicle. Yep. So are you asking me or Doug? So for the first shop- <laughs> Both of you, both of for you. The, for the first shop, what I wanna do is I'm, if I'm the shop owner, is I'm gonna say that, look, it's great that shop's making money. It's great that we're billing all these hours but what I'm doing is I'm making my technicians go ahead and wear themselves out. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to work with them to define processes where I can slow them down a little bit, remove some movement from them and have them be a lot happier and a lot more comfortable in what they're doing. Um, so again, and that will also let it be more attractive to go ahead and bring other staff in because if you can go ahead and show a technician you're trying to recruit that look you know you touch three three cars per day you're going to make 10 hours because that's all they're really interested in is is they don't care about your weekly revenue or anything else those are the things that they they have and for shop number two they they've got to they may have a, a situation where their their master tech might be mentoring those other guys and they're not producing yet but whatever it is is they need to solve it pretty quickly because you can't have that many guys on payroll not producing regardless, especially if you're in a state that everybody's paid hourly, you know, that's kind of a, you know, heading down to, down to you know, circling the little porcelain thing pretty quick, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, and it might be a recruitment problem because they don't have good processes in the shop and they, they haven't went ahead and put systems in place where they can attract anybody else because somebody walks in there, they can easily see, well, you've already got five guys here. They're all starving to death. They look like Cambodians. You know, why would I want to subject myself to that? So you got any thoughts on that, Doug or Uva? Yeah, you, you bring up a, a really important and, and a key element involved there is, is attracting technicians. This is a, an incredibly acute issue in our industry right now. Um, and, and you make the solution very, very simple. Um, be the place to work, right? That, that is the solution to attracting and being able to hire top talent in our industry. 
if you have the the smoothest operating the best the most profitable shop um, and the culture that goes with that i will be specific about that because because we can have tyrants in in well-operated shops as well too um, and have a good culture that goes with it um, they will be knocking at your door and dropping off resumes you won't be looking for them And so again, this, this last number here is, is the one that is the most telling, and that is what does the motorist think about the content that's actually getting to them? And if their engagement time is low, then you know it's time to go ahead and do an audit and kind of understand what's going on. Um, the other KPIs I've, I've kind of defined here is you know the number of repair orders written per day. You can see on the first shop, you know, they've got a higher high arrow, but they're st still not writing a lot of repair orders per day. And then um, shop number two and three, they they both really, you know, for the staff they have, they're not writing anywhere near the repair orders. So they probably need to work on answering the phone and, and maybe talking about, you know, instead of telling a customer what they can't do, they might ought to say is these are the things I can do for you. When would you like to bring it in? Yeah, certainly for metrics for us, uh, average ROs per day and, and breaking it down by service advisor. If your service advisor is trying to deal with um, six, seven, eight vehicles a day, they cannot possibly spend the time necessary in that relationship um, to, to have a good sales process, right? Um, again, supported by all kinds of processes in place at, at the base level in those categories. Uh, you know, our, our service advisors, we want them down in the, the three, four vehicles per day. Hey, that happens to line up with, with dealing with one technician, right? Imagine a scenario where, where one technician, one service advisor, and picture um, how well both of those employees can service those three and a half customers in that day, right? We're, we're talking about ultimate attentiveness things don't get missed, balls don't get dropped in that situation, and your shop reputation goes up with it, right? Again, we're talking about slowing these processes down so that we're not just, just scrambling all day long, hitting so much activity that we can't possibly do uh, any of the processes as well as they really need to be done to, to get to that top block on our, on our big pyramid of success, um, handling awesome clients. So this kind of also answers Uba's question earlier, is shop number two and three, are they a quick loop facility? Well, if they are, they're not seeing very many units per day. No. And, and shop number one is operating most like a quick loop there with the amount of vehicles they're handling in a day. No wonder they don't have time to inspect them. Right. So the, but, my, know, the, but my advice to shop owner one would be, actually it would not be advice, it would be a question. Do you want to grow? Right? Because they have an amazing baseline. They start from and adding the inspection as a consistent process allows him to hire more people and, and grow the shop. Right? Yep. He has a good he has a good problem to solve, in my opinion. The other two are in bigger trouble, right? It's a it seems to be a hybrid of the ability to educate and sell and get approval rates, plus a lot of activity going on, not resulting in billable finished hours. 
Yep. Would you guys agree? Yep. And like I said, for all three of these, you know, doing an inspection audit with the whole shop as a team to go in and understand the quality of what they're doing in the eyes of the customer, you know, looking at that inspection result, they're going to send it like they're going to send it to their mom, which isn't a technician to understand what's going on. You know, that's a key to working together and building a team culture in their shop. And then, you know, here, you know, their inspection sheet isn't set up right in any way, shape or form because the sales to estimate rate isn't right on there. So again, that goes up to a setup problem that they could work on. And I would highly encourage them to work on the setup by defining some quick wins for their shop. And then, you know, exactly what it's supposed to look like, exactly the can job that needs to be on it and so, and start going ahead and racking them up. But, you know, all three of these shops have a setup problem and, you know, working together to do the audit, go ahead and define the quick wins while they're doing the audit will really go a long ways toward, toward helping them out. And, and really what I see here as well is there's an awful lot of low hanging fruit yes. from, from all of these shops, right? There's, there's some basic uh, process and procedural items that can be changed um, quickly and easily and, and likely with uh, a huge effectiveness involved here. Um, and by managing these shops, using the metrics that we've got in the BCP, um, identifying those areas doesn't take a rocket scientist, right? They're, they are there in front of you. Um, get familiar with looking at these, um, take the training, watch the best practices, videos, um, you know, find yourself a peer group with some other shops to, to help give you uh, ideas of, of processes. And, and that's what Auto Vitals does for us, right? We've got an amazing group of uh, shop owners, service advisors on the forums and everything. Um, ask your questions, put up your numbers. Let's, uh, let's help each other out, right? I've never, you know, I've, I've looked at literally thousands of shops for a time I've been with Auto Vitals and, and even before that, I've never found a perfect shop, but I've, I've seen a lot of shops that they don't have an open mind to what's going on around them. So my thought process is if you have an open mind and ask questions, especially on the digital shop talk forum, different groups and stuff that are out there and take some advice, if you go ahead and ask our Auto Vitals trainers, you know, if you've got, if you're using Auto Vitals, ask our trainers that are working with you, they will go ahead and point you in the right direction. And if they don't know, they have a whole team of people behind them that they can certainly ask and lean on to, to go ahead and support you. Uber, you have anything you wanna go ahead and add before we wrap? These are just examples of, of what good can look like. The shop on the right, three hours per repair order. They got a pretty decent shop. They've got several guys in that area. And then um, the shop on the left is, um, you know, they're, they're doing well. They've got some guys in there that are really good performers, but if you look through the rest of the data, similar to what we did here today, you'll always be able to find something to work on, a process to change in the shop and a way to measure it and be able to go and continue to improve. Yeah, I would love to go into a few more of those KPIs, but we are, we are <laughs> done. For example, the sales to estimate, um, it, I really, for the shop two and shop three, I seriously have no idea um, what's going on, but I agree with Doug that there's so much potential for improvement. And if we could 
have one of the shops in the audience to volunteer, we might use this this uh, podcast to go into details for that shop. That would be fun. Yeah, that, it sounds like we need uh, a whole nother podcast series. We'll make them uh, five hour episodes and we'll go through uh, every KPI. Yes. <laughs> awesome. So we're, we're at the, a little bit over the top of the hour. Um, so I'd like to thank those of you that joined us, encourage you to go to autovitals.com forward slash radio, or just Google us and, and look for us and, and listen to us on some of the podcasts um, platforms that are out there, Apple, Google, and so on. And also, you know, find another struggling shop owner that might be in your neighborhood and, and help lift up the industry by inviting them to, you know, listen to these podcasts or, or join us live. And so, um, I guess the only thing I have to say right now is um, thank you. Have a great day and go out and make some money. Thank you, Doug. It was awesome. Always a pleasure. Thank you, guys. <laughs>